Have you ever been in darkness so great you were afraid of the next step? We don't do that very much in cities, but where I grew up, you would literally walk into a tree because if the moon wasn't out and the stars weren't out, you, you literally, you, you kind of walked like this, right, real slow. Um, I've shared with you, I like I the outdoors, so I go, I, when I go hiking on occasion, if I ever start in the wee hours of the morning or the, late into night, right, you've got that headlamp that you wear, and you really, all you care about is that next step. And have you ever, like, done a hike at night, and then you do it again in the day? It's really interesting. If you're hiking at night, there could be the Grand Canyon five feet from you, and you don't even know. You know what I mean? You don't even know that the precipice is there because you're just like, oh, I got my lamp and I've got my next step. And you really have no clue what's around you because you're, all I care about is this next step. And when, I, when I'm doing that kind of stuff, I'm, I mean, I've got an extra headlamp, right? I got extra batteries because I have this like paranoia. What if it goes out? And I'm like stuck like out here in no man's land with no lamp, no light, it's pitch black and I am in deep trouble. Some of you are like, you are weird, man. What in the world? I know, I know, I have weird interests and hobbies. But darkness is one of those things that most of us don't think of as a phobia, but actually pitch black darkness with no light is somewhat terrifying. This morning, God's word is gonna confront us with a a rather famous text. And it's gonna get right to the issue that this word is a lamp. And this word is is a light. And folks, if we don't understand that and we don't run to that lamp and to that light, then we will be just like that man who's out in the middle of a wilderness and his batteries are dead and he is stumbling over everything because he has no clue what's in front of him. And this book is our lamp and our light. So let's read Psalm 119, 105 through 112. 105 through 112. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it. I keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your statutes, your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This morning, our main idea is this, the word lit path. And the word lit there is not like, that was so lit. All right, that's the word for light. All right, the word lit path. The word lit path is marked by obedience and worship. The word lit path, the path that the word of God lightens before you is gonna be marked by two dominant things, obedience and worship. So let's walk through this together and see what God has for us. Psalm 119, 105. Here is very simple. The word lights the path. That was a really easy first point. The word lights the path. And let's walk through it together. The word of God is consistently referred to as a light. You may remember some of these references. Um, Even like Jesus, I am the light of the world, right? I mean, it's consistent. The word of God is is an analogy for it is this lamp or light. And it's interesting that following after sin is often referred to as darkness. So there's this contrast. There's light and there's darkness. And, and I would hope that this morning we would be honest enough to say, yeah, I get that. When I walked in the path of my sin, it's like walking in darkness, right? I mean, it's, you're running into walls. There's pain, there's agony, there's suffering. You're tripping. You think you know what's right, but it's actually wrong. It's, and that's what God says, it's darkness. You're running into things and you're clueless. It's darkness. But then the word of God, the light explodes on the scene and now you can see. And even like some of us would say, oh yeah, there was days in my life I so walked in darkness. I mean, like I, was, I thought I was right. My life was a wreck. I thought I knew what was going on. I had no idea. There was just a wake of pain and misery in my life. I walked in darkness. And then there was this moment that the light changed everything. I mean, listen to these verses. Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people who walk in great darkness have now 
seen the light. Those who, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. He's just drawing the contrast. There were those, they, great darkness, deep darkness. Oh, but now the light has come. The light has shown. And that is not a reference to the sun rising over the land. It's spiritually. They were in great darkness, but now they're not. Isaiah 50 verse 10, listen to these words. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord. What's the contrast? When you walk in darkness, you're not trusting in the name of the Lord. So when you walk in darkness, he says what you need to do is turn to the name of the Lord because guess what? When you do that, you find light. So that's, that's the point. I love 2 Corinthians 4. I mention it regularly. The God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers. Why? Because they're in darkness. What's he trying to blind them to? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So every one of us are born in darkness. The God of this world blinds our minds. That's the point of all sin. Whatever your particular bent is, Satan doesn't care as long as you're blind to Jesus. And then the gospel comes and it's like, boom, the light comes in. I get it now. I was in darkness. Now I'm in light. So how does Psalm 119.105 help us understand this? Well, let's break it down together. Psalm 119.105 begins with this. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's interesting. He has two words here, lamp and light, and they're two distinct words. The word lamp is that small lantern that provides light for your next step. So he says, your word, your word is a lamp to my feet. And you know, like I mentioned before, um, when you're out in darkness and you've got one of those little headlamps on that we use today, it, it lights in front of your path. All right. Now, if you have one of those really fancy schmancy headlamps, they might like, you know, go 50 to 100 feet in front of you, maybe even more. But if, if you're, you know, a cheapskate and you buy the, the you know, the $5 one, it's probably just going to give you in front of your feet. But you know what? In front of your feet is okay because you know what your next step is supposed to be. He says, so your word is like a lamp. Now, clearly the psalmist is not referring to a headlamp, all right? This is 3,500 years ago. He's referring to like a lantern that you would have held. And it literally just gave you the next step. And God's word is the next step. He just says, your word is like that. It gives me the next step to guide me through the nitty gritty of life. Those things where I'm like, Lord, I literally don't know what to do next. We're not talking about a five-year plan. We're not talking about a retirement plan. We're talking about like right here, right now, the next step of life, it's an enigma. And I don't know what to do. And so God, I need the lamp. I need the lamp of your word. And so we go to the scriptures and we say, God, help me. You've promised that your word is a lamp and I need to know what do I do right here, right now? Like my foot is in the air and it's about to come down and I don't know where to put it. So would you guide my foot? Would you provide the lamp to my feet? What's well, so interesting that he then says, and the light to my path. And this word light is radically different than the word lamp. The word light actually, you know where it shows up first? This word shows up first in the Bible? Genesis 1-3. When he says, let there be right? And stars are created and the sun's formed and there's like radiating light. He says, God, your word is a lamp that just shows me the very next step. But your word is also a light that shows me everything. It illumines everything. It makes it abundantly clear. So you're like, well, time out. How can it be both? Well, I think it's both because there's times when God's word is just that next step. But then there's times where the word of God clearly shows you the path for all of life. Now, I don't, when I say the path, again, pardon my mountaineering illustrations, but it just makes sense in my brain. You look up on the hillside and you see a path. If you're ever out in the mountains and you're like, okay, there's, I can see faintly in the distance, there's my path. You can't see all the rocks in the trail, but you can see up there's a path, right? You're like, that's where I'm headed, I'm going there. When he says God's word is a light, that's what he, it's like. It reveals where I'm going. It's telling me, the, here's what God has for my life in the future. These are the big promises, if you will, of scripture. Like, yes, God, I know that all things work together for good. Oh, I don't understand that right in the here, right now, because right here, right now is kind of hard. 
but I know that that's the light. That's what you're doing ultimately in my life. As Pastor Ernie mentioned a few Sundays back, this is what I call the meta-narrative of scripture. God's grand story. He's redeeming, he's restoring, he's rescuing, he's reconciling. It's light. It's like, it makes sense. Yes, this world is a mess. But when I see the light of scripture and I let that interpret this world, it's like, it makes sense. God's doing his work. It's light to my path. So even though I may not be able to tell you what's gonna happen in 10 years, I can tell you God will be good. And I can tell you that Jesus will be glorified. And I can tell you that this book will always prove itself to be true in your life. And I can tell you, and you just go down that list, so we can say, I don't know what the next decade or two holds, but this word is light to our path. And then it's a lamp to our, our next step. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I mean, that's just, you make known the path. I go to God, God, you make it clear. It's kind of interesting, in the last um, few years, there's a, a new career path that's, that's becoming, and I'm not criticizing the career path, okay? So this is not a mockery of anybody. But now we have this thing called life coaches, right? Life coaches, because we just, we so badly want to know the path. And again, they do good things. But it's interesting because it's like we long to know the path for life. Come on, you just, I want you to tell me what to do. Like you're just gonna do like a test and figure out my personality and then give me my top two choices because I wanna know the path. Wouldn't it be great if life was that easy? We're like, God, no, your word is a lamp and your word is a light. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If God's word is gonna be a lamp and a light, guess what? It's got to be known. This book is a lamp and a light, but far too often we turn off our flashlight. We snuff out the light and we close this book and we're like, yeah, God, I don't know what your problem is. You promised to light my path up. Do it. And all the while, we would just leave this book closed. And what did David said? Your what? Your word. Your word, this right here is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. You know, I love being around Christians who have spent their life in this book as a lamp and a light because I'm humbled by it and I'm rebuked by it because they're just, you can tell, can't you? You can just tell like, wow, your life hasn't been easy, but that book has been a lamp and a light and you have walked with God through the thick and thin day after day and it wasn't from some supernatural revelation and it wasn't from something like, ooh, I just felt this. It was, I read my Bible. God's word is a lamp and God's word is a light. And I go back to it time and time again. So the psalmist actually, this, this encompasses the entire section this morning. Everything is gonna flow out of this one verse. Your word is a lamp and your word is a light. And therefore, what it reveals to me, I do it. I mean, this is the, this just makes sense. Let's go back to the lamp and light illustration. You've got a lamp on your head. You're walking through darkness. And you just decide, you know what? I'm going to turn it off. I'm just going to take off running at a dead sprint and see what happens. <laughs> You're an idiot. I mean, just no question about it. You're just straight up dumb. It's like nobody does that, right? I mean, when, I, when I'm out hiking, right, and, and there's, that, there's that moment where it's right before the sun rises, you've got these yahoos out on the trail who turn their light off because they want to just, you know, watch the sunrise and they're slowing the rest of us up and they're, you know, they're like, they're trying to make it. And I'm like, you just turn your lamp on because you'll be able to see. And it's like, that's God's word. It's like, it's right there. It's a lamp and a light. And far too often we close it and we're like, all right, God, yeah, I think I got this. And then, and you know what the sad thing is? We blame God. God, how dare you? You said you would do this for me. <laughs> we never even opened the word. And we never said, God, would you speak into this? We rested in our own wisdom, our own understanding. And then when God didn't show up, we, we blamed him. As opposed to, Lord, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to know you because I can take these promises to the bank every time. Your word is a lamp and your word is a light. So if we're going to even get past that this morning, oh, would we understand that the word lit path is marked by these other things. But it starts with the word lit path. And some of us this morning need to get on that train and say, God, would you light my path? I'm gonna be a student of this book, light my path. 
So the word lights the path. Secondly, we see all over this section, the, word, the light of the word is directly connected to obedience. The light of the word and obedience. This is simple. When, the, when a light hits in front of your foot and shows you there is a rock or a stump, you pick up your foot. You, you go around it. You don't kick it. You don't trip over it on purpose. You obey the light. And he says, the word of God is a light. And when it exposes sin and evil or the righteous way, I follow it. That's what I do. And as we've been over and over in Psalm 119, his, his heartbeat is, God, I want to walk with you. That's it. I want to walk with you. And some of us may be like, man, this has been a little bit, maybe, maybe a little legalistic, a little moralistic. I mean, every Sunday he's coming back to walking with God, obeying God. But why? Because he's been redeemed by his God. He loves his God. He is the same guy who, who potentially wrote Psalm 51. I mean, he's been given amazing mercy by his God. He's like, God, I want to live for you. And folks, if you've been redeemed by the gospel this morning, this should be your heartbeat. Like if you are, a, if you are blood bought by Jesus, then there is, there's no other option for you but living for God. Because he has radically transformed you. And salvation will always include sanctification. You can't separate them. We've made these clean categories like justification and sanctification. And that's true if you know those theological terms. There are, there are nuances of difference, but guess what? At the end of the day, if you have been declared righteous in Jesus, you will live for the glory of Jesus. And that's what he's going after here. He's just saying, God, I love you, and I want to walk with you, and here's how it looks. So let's just see. We've got six or seven things just right here of how he walks through obedience. Look at verse 106. Here we see confidence of obedience the confidence of obedience. I, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. See, because the word has lit his path, he's absolutely, absolutely convinced of its authority and its accuracy. So because the word has lit his path, that's the first verse. He's like, I am so resolved to follow you. I am so resolved to obey you because I know it to be true. I've seen it in your word. I love the, the double commitment. I have sworn an oath, and if that's not enough, I confirmed it. Like I've sworn and confirmed. Like I can't say this any more clearly. I am absolutely resolved in my commitment. My confidence to obey you is second to none. I mean, have you ever been so convinced of something, just practically, so convinced of something, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, like you're gonna do it. This might be a way you choose to eat. You're convinced that this is healthy, so you do it, and that's fine. And somebody else may disagree with you, and you don't change your conviction. You're not like, oh, you disagree with me? Okay, I'll do it your way. No, man, you've read your stuff, you've studied it out, like I believe this is healthy, right? So it changes your actions. It's just, you believe it? You're convinced of it, it changes you. There's some of you in here, you know, you may have a particular interest or hobby or like or dislike, and so you've studied that out and you're like, uh-uh, I ain't doing that. Because I saw what happened to that person over there, uh, that's risky, not going down that road. And this could, we, we, we understand this in all of life. We're convinced of something and it affects our actions. I mean, this is true with, I'm convinced that these shoes are comfortable, so I wear them. Right, it's just how we operate as humanity. When we're convinced that God's word is right, we'll do it. If we're not convinced, we're like, yeah, I don't, I don't think God knows what he's talking about. Oh, you would never say that, but it's how we live by our actions. God, your word really isn't right. Your word really isn't good. But see, if we are people of convictions, we're gonna be people of boldness. And that's the point here. Your word lights my path, so I am absolutely bold in my convictions. I, it doesn't matter what society does. It doesn't matter what people say. I'm keeping your righteous rules. So I had a situation this week where I had a guy repair something of mine. It didn't work. And then he, he just pretty much said, well, if you go here and you lie about it, they'll fix it. And I just said, bro, I can't lie. I just straight up, I don't lie. I'll, I'll go talk to this person and see what they say, but I can't lie. And he, <laughs> he looked at me like I was from Mars. I'm like, what? I don't, 
it's just, I, to- I totally caught him off guard. And I wasn't trying to take some moral, like, I'm better than you. It was just, no, I don't lie. It's a commitment of my life. I try to be an honest person, so I'm not doing it. You know, it just shows up because you're like, I'm convinced this book is right. So I walk in it and I strive to it. And I think that's the heart of the believer. We strive to keep it. So there's a confidence and obedience. And, and brothers and sisters, um, I would just add on to that. It's a sweet place to live. When you try to live a, a duplicit life, one foot in, one foot out life, it's really miserable. But when you just side with God and say, God spoke, I'm going to do it. Somebody else is like, man, what are you doing? It's what God said. I'm siding with him. I mean, it's, it's, it's he, the God who made me says this is what I'm going to do, so I'm going to do it. And it's so liberating, isn't it? It's so freeing to just say, I'm going to go with God. I mean, yeah, I struggle with my sin. I get that. But man, best of my ability, I'm going with God. He says, there's confidence in obedience. So he keeps God's rules. That's verse six. Well, it's interesting in verse 107 and verse 110, he's not only is there confidence and obedience, but he gets into again this issue that when you, when you walk with God, you're still gonna suffer. I mean, this guy is ridiculous in his suffering. He's never letting us get away from it. And I think it's because he really wants us to never forget reality. This isn't pie in the sky talk. This isn't come to Jesus and all your problems go away talk. This isn't God will make your life better talk. This is follow God and guess what? Your life still may be really miserable. And in your misery, follow God. So look at verse 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. The wicked have laid a snare for me in verse 110. The wicked laid a snare for me, but I don't stray away from your precepts. Just quickly, two little things here. Verse 110, suffering never excuses sinful living and thinking. I mean, that's just, we've seen it over and over. The wicked lay a snare for me. They're out for me, God. But I don't stray from your precepts. So often we think like this. Lord, life is hard. And when it gets easier, I'll follow you. I'm really busy right now. And I really don't have time for you. But when life gets a little more chill, I'll seek after you. You know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a difficult trial, God, whether my family's falling apart, my body's falling apart, what work's falling apart. And I, I know, I know, I know I need you, but it'll come. Just give me a break. And we have all these lies that we spin justifying why we don't seek after God because life is hard. And here the psalmist says, there are people out trying to kill me. Literally, this isn't figurative talk. This is, they are, they are wanting to kill me. And if you know anything about the psalmist, you know that's true. It's like they're out to kill him. And he says, I don't stray from you. In the midst of my agony, I don't stray from you. I actually purpose to draw near you. It's interesting that when you live based on convictions, verse 106, right? You have convictions. It's not circumstantial. Convictions don't change with circumstances. They don't, it's like, well, you know, I mean, I have a conviction, but if, you know, uh, let me put it this way. Let's say you have Let's say you have a, a, an illness, and, and this illness is, is exacerbated by certain kinds of food. Like a kid in my, my last youth group, right, he's a, he's a severe diabetic, okay? There's certain foods that if he eats, it's going to send his body into shock. So guess what? He didn't eat it. There was one kid, he was so allergic to peanuts that if you touched him with peanut oil, he would go into anaphylactic shock. So my joke with this kid was always, hey, if you're real bad, I'm going to throw peanuts at you. He, he was a good kid. We laughed hard. But guess what Philip did? Philip never went near peanuts. And he was, when I first met him, I thought he was awkward. Because you'd go to shake his hand and he'd be like, uh-uh. Because he knew that if you would touch peanuts, he would, it, would be, it would be really detrimental to him. And I was like, bro, what's your deal? And then after I learned what his deal was, I was like, hey, don't shake my hand. <laughs> right? His conviction, it didn't matter. It was always there. So it's like, I live based on this conviction. When we are convicted that this book is right and true all the time, doesn't matter what's going on in life, I stick to it. If life gets hard, I hold on to it. Affliction doesn't change my commitment to this book. So convictional living is not circumstantial and convictional living is not emotional. It's not, oh, I feel like I wanna walk with God today. I feel close to God today. It's, it's, it's who I am. It's the convictions of my life. I don't care if it's inconvenient. Folks, is it inconvenient to walk with God sometimes in our world? Like every day. 
So there was this guy back in the day, actually when uh, Daniel Kirk and one of his friends were coming to, to youth group back in high school, and they would, they would ask me these questions. Have you seen this movie? And the joke finally became, don't ask Justin, because he doesn't see anything. And, and it was just because I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I haven't watched movies for a long time, at least not like that, right? And then as these guys grew in Christ, they were like, oh yeah, we get that too, right? But it was just like, it's inconvenient, isn't it? Because you may not know what's going on in the world. Just straight up, you may not know. People are talking about some popular show and you're like, yeah, I don't even know what that is. Because you're just like, I'm following Jesus. Like it's not about how I feel, it's about reality, it's about truth. So I hold on to truth all the time by God's grace. But it's so interesting, in verse 110 he talks about how he sticks to truth, but in, one, in 107 he says, I'm severely afflicted, give me life. It's so interesting, we see that affliction is actually God's greenhouse to grow your faith. So he's like, I'm afflicted, but God do your work. Isn't that James 1? I mean, James 1 just, these trials come and they produce things. They produce steadfastness, perseverance. They produce Christ in you, right? He says, this is what trials should do. They cause me to run to God. This is God's purpose in our suffering is that we would draw near to him. And the psalmist knows it and so he shows it to us all the time. Not to be like, hey, I'm the man, be like me. But as a fellow human suffering, saying this is what I need. I need to run to God in my sorrow. And if I don't, I will be miserable. It's interesting that I think it takes even more faith to run to God in our affliction than it does when everything's going good. You know, anybody can stand up and say, oh man, my bills are paid, I got a new car, I'm healthy, my marriage is great, my kids are great, my job is awesome, <laughs> God is good. What if, what if you, my bills aren't paid, my car's about to fall apart, my family's falling apart, I lost my job. God, you are good. Right, isn't that, that's when God gets glory. Because it's not, every, every, anybody goes, God is good when life is easy. But when life is falling apart and you say, I'm a, God, in severe affliction, God, I need you. God, give me life. God, I, I, I'm running to you because I didn't have anything else but you. And that's when the world looks in and goes, you're crazy. Go, yeah, my God is good. And it's not based on the easiness of my life. It's based on the character of my God. And so in affliction, we run to him and God grows us. And so we see that right here in Psalm 119, 107. So he runs, in, in suffering, he still pursues obedience. Well, look at verse 109. So this guy, you might be like, man, I could never be like this guy. Maybe you could be, actually. Verse 109, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. Here we see the psalmist struggling with obedience. This is actually pretty difficult to translate from Hebrew. There's a lot of interesting words in it, and the, the two best ways to understand it is the psalmist is struggling with two things, frailty, the frailty of life, and he's struggling with control, the desire to control his life. I hold my life in my hands. Now that's not a good place to be. God holds our lives. So he's not building himself up like, yeah, oh, this is great news, I hold my life in my hands. <laughs> now he's like, I hold my life in my hands, and you know that's true because what's his contrast? But I don't forget you. In other words, like, here's the struggle. I'm struggling, Lord. I'm struggling because I'm frail. I don't have the answers. Life hurts. Life is hard. And I'm struggling because I constantly want to take the reins back from God. I want to be the master of my own destiny. I want to be in control of my life. But God, I don't want to live that way. So he, he is he is struggling with even following the Lord and wanting to call the shots but letting God be the one who rules his life. And so where does he go? In that moment when he's like, oh, I, I think I wanna be a self-ruling person. I don't forget your word. And that's right where he runs to. I don't forget your law because I know in your law that I can trust you. I know in your law that you're gonna do a better job of running my life than I'm gonna do. Isn't that the essence of faith? The essence of faith is, God, you're going to be better at running my life than I'm going to be at running my life. 
You know what's interesting? So often as Christians, we're, we're so quick to talk about faith in regards to, oh, Jesus saved me. I mean, isn't it great? I mean, I'm, I'm forgiven. Jesus died on the cross for me. And that is faith, isn't it? But we struggle with the faith to actually believe God is going to be a better ruler of our, of our current lives than we are. So it's like, we're like, oh yeah, God, eternity, you got that. Right here, right now, I got this one. You see how that doesn't work? He says there's faith in walking with God right now when God, when I want to take my life back, when I want to hold on to my existence, I'm going to let you be in control because I'm going to run to your word. And in your word, I find that you are good and you are faithful. So we see this guy suffering and running to God. We see his resolve. But in 109, we see his frailty. And I love that because I think that's where sometimes we're like, okay, he's still human. Like this isn't some like, you know, Christian uh, hall of famer writing this text and I'm never going to match up. This is a regular sinner saved by grace being used by God to write scripture. And he is admitting here that, man, there are times where it's, it's not always easy. But in that moment, I run to your law and I want to know your truth. So there's a struggle even in our obedience. But then in verse 111, oh, I love where he goes. He goes to joy. There is joy in walking with God. Isn't joy like what we all desire? I mean, I really believe that joy is what we live for. At the end of the day, we live for joy. We, we, don't, we typically don't work because we love our jobs. We work for the outcome of what it gives us. Hopefully a financial stability. But why do we want that? And if you keep taking logic end, we want joy. We want happiness. And, and we do all that we do to hopefully get there at some measure, somehow. And the psalmist in verse 111 says, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I'm just gonna look at the end of that verse first. For they are the joy of my heart. So that, that either hits you two ways. It's gonna hit you with, how in the world is obeying God joyful? Because that's where some of us are. We read that and we're like, oh man, God is the greatest cosmic killjoy ever. He pretty much just is out to make my life boring. And you know what I hate? I hate when Christians talk like this because they talk like, um, well, life's pretty terrible, but at least one day I'm not going to hell. They kind of have this like Debbie Downer perspective on life. It's terrible now, but it gets better. Now folks, is there truth that life is hard now? But is there truth that there's joy in walking with God now? And I think we need to hold on to that. Like, man, God, you are good today. Like right now. One of my just dearest mentors died at 58 or 59 of a brain tumor. And uh, he was just this phenomenally godly man. And there's a story of another friend of mine talking to him on his deathbed. And he said, Steve, Jesus will be sweet in a few weeks when you see him. And Steve said, Jesus is sweet now. And I'm like, Boom, he gets it, right? It's joyful now walking with God. And the psalmist totally grabbed a hold of that. And he just says, God, your word, it's the joy of my heart. And brothers and sisters, I long for this for our church. That we would be the kind of church that says, this, this is the joy of our lives. We love this book. Why? Because we love the God of this book. And it's in this book we know that God. And if we don't go to this book, we can't know that God. So the joy of our lives is going to this book and finding God and finding him to be gloriously good. And so he begins with joy. And some of us are already there and your hearts are like, yes, amen. And might he be more satisfying to you? May you just see that verse 111 and say, oh Lord, by your grace, you are the joy of my heart. May it ever be more so. May it increase. Because what does it do? Well, it, it, the first half of the verse, your testimonies, your word, your instructions, this book that reveals you, it is my heritage forever. Um, back in Psalm 119, we already talked about how he talks about God, you're my portion. We spent a long time on the word portion because it was that idea of a land. Like you have in an ancient Near East culture, your family had property. And that property went from generation to generation. If you lost your property you're in big trouble. Like you don't have any more land. And actually a lot of the world still lives like this. One of my dear friends in Kenya, Joseph Mwangi, lives on his father's land 
who is his father's land, who is his father's land, right? Like it's family land. And if you lose your family land, you are destitute. Here is the same exact covenantal language. He says, your testimonies, they are my heritage. If that's all I get, if I don't get, a, if I don't get the land, if I don't get the birthright, you are my heritage because you're my joy and I need nothing else. I mean, as I studied this, I literally thought of the song enough that we sang this morning. He is more than enough. If you really believe that, then you're gonna say, God, you're my heritage forever. And folks, I really believe that when we get to that point in our Christian life, by God's grace, as we just submit to the word and we say, Lord, you're my heritage, there are gonna be times where God begins to press you. And he's gonna begin to say, really? Let's see. Am I enough? And in those trials, it's gonna prove what's already there. Are you gonna run to him and say, oh Lord, oh in my sorrow, in my agony, you're enough. Or you're gonna say, okay, that was easy to say, easy to sing, but come on God, what's your problem? Because you're not solving my marriage problems, you're not solving my financial woes, you're clearly not enough. And so this is rubber meets the road Christianity. You are my heritage forever. You are my joy. And we, we need to find the same joy in God. Because folks, God is infinitely glorious. He is infinitely good. And when you struggle with those realities, I think you need to turn your, the spotlight of your gaze to the gospel. And just say, God, I know you're good. Like you love me enough to send your son to die in my place. You're, you hate evil and you crushed your son so that I could go free. So right here, right now, 2018, life is pretty hard and I'm having a hard time seeing your goodness, but I need to look at truth and who you are, what you've done. All right, you're good. And there is joy in walking with you. So there's joy in walking with God. And then in verse 119, 112, he repeats the resolve to obey. In verse 106, he said, I've sworn but in verse 112, he says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Here again, as we saw last week, there is deep intentionality in obedience. I've said it before and I'll continue to say it again. Nobody ever becomes godly on accident. You never wake up more godly just because you went to bed. You don't, you don't wake up like, oh man, I'm just, without any effort, I'm more godly today. We just wake up day after day just as pagan as the next. Yesterday I was gone most of the day and I sent my wife a message and said, hey, hon, how's the family? And she responded with, well, she said the best two words are, it's been a flesh fest since the moment they got out of bed. <laughs> I have four sons and they just hit the ground and it was just anger. And you know, there are days where you, as you raise children, you think, hey, they're fighting sin. Then there are days where it's like, we ain't even fighting today, man. We're just giving in. But isn't that kind of how we are? Days we just don't fight. Days we just go after our flesh. If we're not intentional in our walk with God, if we don't purpose in our hearts to say, God, I'm gonna walk with you. Oh, God, help me walk with you. It's a flesh fight. It's just r rampant sin in our thinking, in our living, in our speaking. And actually in Psalm 119, in this section, we see the psalmist, look at these statements. Verse 106, I have sworn. Um, then he says in verse 112, I incline. He says, I do not stray from your precepts in 110. This isn't accidental godliness. This isn't like, well, I'm just a super Christian guy so I can just rest on the coattails of my past life. It's, I am choosing to walk with God day in, day out. God, I need you. And God, I wanna walk with you. I don't wanna go down the path of my sin. God, help me. He is resolved to obey his God. And it's so fascinating. Look at how he ends the verse. He, he's repeating himself for emphasis, forever to the end. Couldn't he have just said forever? I mean, isn't that what to the end means? But he says forever to the end. Because brothers and sisters, Christianity is not a flash in the pan. It's not a, oh, I walked with God for a few years. I walked with God for a few months. I had a Christian experience back in 1985. It is a walking with God every day. You know the repentance and faith that starts your Christian life. You repent and you believe in the gospel. That is the beginning of a daily 
life of repentance and faith. And when you stop repenting and believing, the only thing I can do is question, did you ever start? Because the Christian life is one of repentance and faith. I'm constantly dying to sin and I'm constantly believing in Jesus. I'm constantly dying to sin and I'm constantly saying, God, I believe your word to be true. That is, the, it starts that way and guess what, folks? It ends that way. And he says here, I'm gonna keep your word. I am inclined. I have tur- that inclined is to turn something. I, the light, remember the light? The light exposes it. I turn from it and I'm gonna keep your word to the very end. This is Hebrews 10, 23. Don't waver in your conviction. Don't wander off one day. Stay faithful to Jesus to the very end. So this path is marked by obedience. And again, folks, I sure hope you don't come away thinking, well, all he cares about is is moralism. Just do more. This isn't do more better, folks. This is living for the glory of God. This isn't pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This is God. The grace that saves me is the grace that transforms me. It's God, I need you and I want to live for you because I love you, because you've transformed me and because you're worthy of living for. Please hear that this morning. As as we go deep into what it means to obey God, may you always hold on to the fact of why we obey him. We don't obey him to get his grace or his blessing in the sense of our position, right? We are a part of the family of God and we obey him because it's who we are. It is your identity as a child of God. And because God has commanded it, we follow him. And then I would just add on to this, when you follow the light and you follow the lamp, guess what? You know the blessings of this book. I'm gonna digress for just a second because I think it's really key here this morning. There are people, like the book of Jude says, they're saved as by fire, right? I think the best way to understand that is people that they are truly born again, but their lives were a wreck or they were saved at the end of their life. And it was like, man, there was no walking with God, but they repented and believed and praise be to God, they're saved. They're like the thief on the cross. He cried out, did God save him? And And we should say what? Amen, like amen and amen. But do you realize that God's good plan for your life is to turn to him today or whenever you did turn to him and walk with him? God's good plan for your life is not to run from him until your last breath and then turn. God longs to be gracious to you. But you know, there are are people who I truly believe are born again and they never really submit to living by this book and they wonder why they don't know the blessings of this book. And by the blessings, I don't mean the grace of God in salvation, right? That's, that's the position. But there are so many statements if he says, I, I resist the proud and give grace to the humble. Do you want God to resist you? Well, go ahead, be proud. You'll know the resisting hand of God. Do you want the smile and the favor of God in your life practically day to day? Then try, strive for humility by his grace. Are you, there's these promises in the book all over of walk with God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. But, right, I mean, Psalm 1. He, he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. His delight is where? In the law of the Lord, not in his law. He meditates day and night. And that man, that man shall be like a tree planted by the, the rivers of water. You know, there's, there's, that's not a reference to salvation, brothers and sisters. You can be saved and totally ignore Psalm 1. In your life, you're gonna wonder, what's going wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You're not walking with God. And Psalm 119 is all about walk with God. God is good. And as you walk with him, there are so many things you're gonna know that are just the blessings of his grace. This isn't merited favor, brothers and sisters. This is just obedience to a good God who knows what's best for you. And when you run from him, you know the consequences of sin. When you submit to him, you know the joy of walking with God. That's what the psalmist wants for us this morning. Now, as we finish, let's do verse 108 because 108 is kind of this interesting, different, but beautiful verse in the middle of this section. I said that the word-lit path is marked by obedience and worship. And just, for, just so you're clear, in the scriptures, obedience and worship are often the, one and the same. You can't worship and not obey. And you can't obey without worship, right? Worship is not singing. Worship is living to the glory of God. So the light, the light of the word and worship. Verse 108, 
Accept my free free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. In verse 107, the psalmist said, I'm severely afflicted. So life is messed up. Life is hurting. But here we see that worship is not circumstantial. Worship is not, I had a good week. I've had a good day. I'm going to run to God. Worship is, regardless regardless of what's happening in my life, God, I'm going to run to you. But what's beautiful here is how he says this. I accept my free will offering. So I began to just kind of, what is a free will offering? Well, back in Leviticus, the book where we see most of the law for the sacrifices, you may have read that before. Maybe you stopped halfway through because you didn't understand it. But there's all these laws for sacrifices. There's atoning sacrifices, right? There's cleansing sacrifices. Well, then you get to this section and it's called free will sacrifices. Guess what a free will sacrifice is? A free will sacrifice. It's not regulated in the sense that there's no like, on this day of the year, give this sacrifice. When you sin like this, give this sacrifice. It's just, a free will sacrifice is simply this. God, I love you and I'm gonna worship you. That's a free will sacrifice. So the psalmist here says, God, I love you. This is a statement of adoration for God, joy in God. Please, I beg you, accept my free will sacrifice to you. It's interesting that even though the free will sacrifice wasn't mandated as a certain time, it had to be done in a certain way. You still couldn't offer God your second best. You couldn't give God your leftovers. You couldn't give him your lame animal. It had to be a perfect one. It had to be still all the same restrictions, but it was just out of a, I long to give this to you because I love my God. So interesting here we see that that this kind of worship is not the mandated one. It's not a, I have, I'm a, for this, for the context of here, I'm a Jew, here's what I have to do. It's my own overflow of affection for my God. It's ultimately the heart that delights in God. I think for us today, we could just see that genuine worship is not forced or contrived. It's not like, oh, this is my duty. I've got to go here. I've got to do this. I have to give this much. It's, I I love my God. And I am delighted to worship him. We get this in life. For some reason, we struggle with it towards God. You know, you're supposed to buy flowers for your loved one on certain days of the year. That's probably a good habit for most of us. But you know what's even better? Is just that random, hey, I brought you flowers, hun, and it's a Tuesday afternoon, and there's no special holiday, and it's just I love you. Right? That's a a free will offering, if you will. There's no mandate. There's no like, oops, it's your birthday, and I forgot. It's like, nope, I just love you, and I'm thinking about you. I even wrote you a card, and I bought you flowers, and I care about you. That's, that should be our hearts to God, brothers and sisters. I love you, and I want to worship you. And whatever that means, I'm going to do it. Because you are good and gracious and merciful and full of abounding love towards me, and I adore my God. A, a redeemed life, a God-entranced life, a word-loving life, guess what it does? It worships. It praises. Because it's who you are. And I love how he finishes that verse. Accept this offering, O Lord, and teach me. In our day and age, worship is a feeling. Worship is an event. And here he connects his worship with learning about his God. You know why? Because biblical worship is, a res- is a, always a response to what you know about God. If you're not responding to who God is, you ain't worshiping. If you've made up some idea of who you think God is, it's not worshiping. Worship is always in the scriptures a response to who he is. So he's like, God, I'm going to worship you. Oh, would you teach me more? Because as I know you, guess what? I'm going to keep worshiping you. Because as you reveal yourself to me and I see the glory and greatness of God, I am that much more drawn to you to continue my worship of you. It's really hard right now because yesterday I preached a whole sermon on worship and I want to just go into that. 
And I can't because that would be like another hour. But you realize that God made us to be worshipers. We all worship something. Every one of us worships something. Some of you worship the one who alone can satisfy and others worship a whole bunch of broken cisterns that can't satisfy. But we're made to be worshipers. Romans 1 says you're either going to worship what? The creation or the creator. The creature or the creator. You can't do both, but you will worship something because we're made to worship. And here the psalmist gets it and he says, my free will offering of worship is towards my God. And God, I want to know you so that I can continue to worship you. So Psalm 119, 105 to 112 is so clear that when God's word lights your path, there's two things are gonna happen. You're gonna obey him. You, you have to, you have to, because you, you see the error. And it's like, no, I don't wanna go down that. I don't want to do that. I mean, can you imagine with me for a moment? Let's say you're, you're working on something. You've got your chop saw out. And, and we all know what happens when you put your hand in a chop saw. I mean, we, we just, you, you know instinctively the blade spinning. I take my you know, hand gone, like bad, bad idea. So nobody's dumb enough to say, oh yeah, that blade's spinning. I wonder what it would feel like. No, because you just know that's, that's foolish. Well, guess what? When, God word, when God's word is the lamp and God's word exposes our sin, guess what? <laughs> You're like, no, nah, I'm not putting my finger in that saw. I'm walking with my God. He revealed his way to me. He lit my path. I'm not going down that anymore. So the word lit path is an obedient life. But as God lights your path, folks, you will worship him. Obedience and worship must never be separated. We, don't, we shouldn't look at obedience as like the misery of the Christian life and worship as the good part because they go hand in hand. We worship him and we obey him because he is that good. May God do this in our lives, church. Oh, I long that we would be a church that lives for the glory of God and delights in worshiping that God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us this morning? Help us as a church to draw near to God. Help us to to earnestly plead with you as a congregation, as a church to say, Father, light my path. Be the lamp I desperately need. Oh God, how we need you. And as we, as you light that path, may we obey you and may we worship you in all that we do and say. And Father, I just want to as we transition now and even as we take communion together, I want to thank you because even as we strive to obey you and we strive to worship you, we struggle. And there is a savior who died for us in that struggle. You don't leave us condemned as we deserve, but you gave us lavish grace in the person and work of Jesus who saved us from all past, present, and future sin. And we praise your name. And in Christ's name, amen.